This is a Radical Rand Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Radical Wrestling Podcast. I am Adam, a.k.a. CS Radical here, and we have a lot to go through. So obviously, AEW, as per usual, we have a couple of news stories that are, um, I guess, quite buzzworthy. So do we start with the fun or do we start with we start with the really, really bad? You know, what? let's 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 start bad and work our way up. So Jim Cornette. I need I say more? I mean, this is a guy that I've had tons of respect for and really saddens me to see honestly just a guy refuse to change, to refuse to learn, to refuse honestly just to let something else be. I have listened to his podcast over the years, the Jim Cornette experience when he was on MLW such like that and I liked the guy and then at the same time I didn't like the guy because I thought he was a little too brash at the same time I thought he was a little too head in the sand when it came to issues that he didn't agree with when it came to things in wrestling that he didn't agree with and eventually it got to a point where I just wasn't listening to the shows anymore um I wasn't really paying attention to what he was saying nor doing, whether it was Twitter, whether it was his podcast, any of that. So when NWA was announced and I heard that he was announcing as a color commentator, I'm like, okay, that's really cool and that's a great fit for him. And in the few shows that happened before I dropped it, before I dropped NWA Power, everything was fine. Like, you know, it just, it worked and... As much as I didn't like the show itself, I I really did like the fact that, you know, you got a guy like Cornette here who brings back the old school feeling to what a wrestling show back in the day would have been. However, he decided that to take it old school also meant that you could still make jokes that back in the old days you would get away with. And am I going to sit here and tell you that this was the most racist thing I've ever heard? No, but am I going to sit here and tell you that it wasn't racist at all? No, I'm not going to do that either. So the quote that he said, it was during a Trevor Murdoch, I believe Nick Aldis match. And he said, Trevor Murdoch is the only person that I know that would strap a bucket of fried chicken to his back, ride on a motor scooter all the way through Ethiopia. Now, is it really like a truly racist incendiary statement? No, but in the end, that statement itself is just absolutely stupid to say. In 1980s, it'd probably be okay. In 2019, we know that almost nothing is okay. So, I, I've seen people talk about how you know, oh, it's the snowflake generation. Oh, Cornette shouldn't have to apologize. It wasn't even that offensive. Blah, 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 blah. Honestly, and the, and this is as a guy who used to be really anti-SJW and still is, in a way, a little bit anti-social justice. Although I think now I've just kind of loosened up a bit and just kind of been, look, I get both people are trying to find something 
and they're just both not doing it in the right way. Um, regardless of whether you think that that statement is offensive, racist, terrible to say, whatever you want to say that it is, um, or isn't for that matter. If you believe that we are currently in the snowflake generation where everything is really sensitive and you are a person that is employed in a company that is going to be viewed by several, if not hundreds of thousands, that you risk going to somebody that would get offended by these things as easily as people claim that people do. So knowing that, why would you make that comment in the first place? You know, it's one thing to spout out factual information that just flies in the face of what a social justice warrior would feel. That's one thing. But a statement that was meant to be, I guess, a joke, a statement that really didn't need to be there and only serve to be something that would be taken very terribly by people who are apparently extremely sensitive, why would you even take that chance? It's the same with Don Cherry in the NHL. If anybody knows that story, he made a comment as well about, you know, people not buying poppies and specifically being like you people that come here and, and you know, enjoy our milk and honey and, and stuff like that. You know better. You are on national television in the case of Don Cherry. And in the case of Jim Cornette with the NWA, you are on YouTube, which can be viewed by anyone and everyone. And you are deciding to take that platform and say something that you know is going to rile up those people. And if you are part of a company that is being is trying to get its footing and trying to get a television deal for that matter, you are not going to help anything. That's that comment is not going to boost rating, that comment is not going to get anybody over, that comment doesn't serve to do anything positive. So it was a waste of a comment. And it was a stupid thing to say, knowing, because I know Jim Cornette is very aware of the sensitive culture out there, and he still makes a comment like that and thinks nothing is going to come of it. And I've heard in, you know, various responses to it that, you know, he is saying like, you know, I, I didn't mean to say it in the way that it was. It wasn't meant to be anything harsh. And it's like, I don't care. Honestly, I don't care. In this day and age now where we have become so aware of all these things, you should know better. You should know better. It's not like I'm going around anytime I talk about this podcast and saying something about black people or saying something about women that would be considered offensive. When I talk about, say, women's wrestling in AEW, for example, I'm not sitting there and saying that, oh, it's bad wrestling because it's women wrestling. No, I'm saying it's bad women's wrestling because some of the women that are wrestling in that promotion are not very good. That's not the same thing. And... The reason that I don't say these stupid things isn't even because I don't feel that way. It's because I also know what would I gain from saying something like that. If I actually went out and said, oh, women shouldn't be wrestling in AEW, what does it do? Like, what does it really do? It might get the attention of some people that I don't want to associate with. But at the end of the day, that comment serves as to do nothing but segregate and divide people and offend people and piss people off. My job is not to make people upset. My job is to talk, is to have a conversation. And Cornette's job was to get talent over, was to get the product over. And all he does with a comment like that is make the product worse, is now put a stain on Trevor Murdoch now. So anytime somebody looks at that, they're going to think, oh, that's the guy that Cornette put that stupid fucking line on. 
So all he's done to serve, as a guy who talks about what draws and what brings people to the dance, he certainly did nothing to help Trevor Murdoch, and he certainly did nothing to help NWA. So at the end of the day, I still respect Cornette for what he did back when he was in his prime. But today, in 2019, the guy needs to do one of two things. He either takes, needs to take a very serious step back or to go away. Because it's clear to me now, based on the way that he has decided how he can talk on a wrestling show, and not to mention things of like him blocking Brian Zane on Twitter just because Brian Zane said, hey, I think there's a place for comedy wrestling because it can be its own niche market and doesn't have to be you know, involved with everything. All he said was that stuff like Joey Ryan's dick flips, Orange Cassidy, that is its own separate fan base. You don't have to like one to like the other. You can like the NWA kind of wrestling and not enjoy what's AEW doing. That doesn't mean that it doesn't have to exist. But Cornette apparently feels like that's enough to block a guy that he's associated with with a number of years, which tells me that he's just another classic bitter old man that can't accept the fact that time has passed him by, that wrestling has passed him by, and it's time for him to take a step away from it because clearly he doesn't have it anymore. So with that being said, speaking of people who have been taking a step in, or taking a step back from wrestling, CM Punk. CM Punk finally making his like its actual full appearance on WWE backstage. I didn't watch the whole show. Uh, I managed to catch whatever clips that uh, the WWE on Fox YouTube channel put up. So I caught the interview with Renee. I caught him uh, telling Seth to stop tweeting, and I caught his little promo up against Tom Arnold. Um. The gist of it, I mean, I enjoyed what I saw. I've heard things otherwise that he said during the show. Like he tried to get, um, like he was calling the Big Dog segment on, um, I believe it was SmackDown, where they had Baron Corbin bringing out this like bulldog mascot costume as the Big Dog. And he said it was stupid. And he was looking at Paige and nudging her, being like, this is stupid, right? And, and I like the fact that Punk is trying to change the culture from a different place. He's not trying to change the culture from within. He's trying to change the culture from the outside where there are more eyeballs too. And I, and I appreciate that because again, there's a reason why I don't watch WWE anymore. Uh, NXT it's, I've honestly seen little bits of NXT and I feel like NXT is becoming a shadow of itself already. I feel like they're trying harder to get the ratings boost to get a, to beat defeat AEW for that matter. I don't feel like they're focusing on, the talent, the show itself, I think they're just trying to pop ratings now. And my fear is that if they don't succeed in the long run, Vince is going to want to get more involved. And that's still been my fear since NXT was moved to USA. But um, what I've heard from Punk on that first episode of Backstage, I liked. Uh, His interview, obviously not very candid, but he did say uh, when it came to if he'd ever be in the ring again, he said, never say never. Uh, when it came to wrestling in the WWE ring, he said that's, again, a never say never, but that's going to take a lot of bridges to be rebuilt. And he said it could take as long, long as it took for uh, the Great Wall of China to be built. You never know. It's it, it sounds to me like he's still very, very bitter about what WWE did to him, and I don't blame him. If everything that he said, say, on Cole Cabana's podcast way back in the day, if that's to be believed, yeah, no, I, I could understand that he has a lot of grudges to hold against that company, especially Vince McMahon. Otherwise, um, I mean, if he wants to get back in the ring, it sounds to me like he wouldn't 
be opposed to going back. It's just right now he's not focused on it. He likes what he's doing here where all he gets to do is watch the product and bash it. Basically, that's what he's doing. Uh, he did mention in that interview as well that he thought the women was the best thing on the show right now. Other than the fact that they still do the hashtag women's revolution crap, he said that stuff's not necessary. You have women like Becky Lynch, Charlotte, and all these girls that are that good that you don't need to push a narrative. You just let them go. And I and I fully agree with that. I think that the, one of the biggest problems with the women's revolution, especially back when it first started, the issue was that they tried to make it into a PR stunt. They tried to make it into goodwill. And the reality is, take a look at the show like The Expanse. The Expanse has one of the most diverse cast of characters out there, and at no point in the series did they ever call attention to it. They just exist. They just go. In WWE, they pushed women's wrestling in your face till you drowned in it. They shoved your head in that bucket of water until you were like, oh, that's that's what's going on. It It didn't work. And it made the progress even slower. It should have been almost instantaneous because when you put all those women like Becky, Charlotte, uh, Sasha Banks, eventually Bailey, and you get other girls up there now like Asuka, Kyrie Sane, like it should have told itself. The story should have been completely self-told, didn't have to do that much work, and just go. And unfortunately, WWE decided that they wanted to push it so they could look good for charities, so they could look good for news outlets, so they could get all this media attention. They're more worried about, again, popping a rating than they are about actually making wrestling great again. Because wrestling right now, at least in WWE, has been worse than I think I've ever seen it. And this is coming from a guy who left in the heyday of Cena's Reign of Terror. Because it was so boring. And it's to the point now that if it wasn't for AEW, I'm not sure I'd be watching wrestling at all, to be 100% honest. I mean, New Japan is something that I enjoy, but I can't keep up with New Japan. Just because, like, the language barrier still exists, and not everything is English, and, I mean, you, you can't always take in shows like the G1. You just can't. So for me, like, I would just watch the major shows. Like, when Wrestle Kingdom happens in January, I'll be watching that. But in terms of, I'm not watching every show they put up. I just can't. You know, I don't... The beauty of All Elite is that I can I can watch Dynamite and it's two hours. Most of it is really good. I can turn on Dark and even if it's not the greatest show, it's an hour. And that's what I miss about NXT as well. It used to be an hour. Now it's two. And now it's kind of getting a little bit cramped. And AEW may at some point, I don't know, it depends. Like right now the product is really good for me. But who knows, maybe watching two hours every week just becomes a bit of a burden if the show is not continuing evolving and getting better or at least you know being consistent but at this point you know when it comes to wwe i just i don't care anymore they've shown on raw and smackdown that there's no reason to give two shits about what that show does that's it and nxt it finally got to a point because of aew that nxt just fell by the wayside because i only have time for really for one show so otherwise um the last thing that i noted with punk on backstage was that he Took a few shots at Seth Rollins for, uh, you know, trying to call him out on Twitter and saying, fight me and stuff like that. And, and Punk just being like, dude, just stop tweeting. You know, in reference to how Rollins has kind of buried himself over the last little while because he keeps he keeps butting the bullet on trolls and fans that are that are criticizing him. And, you know, as as someone who obviously doesn't get a lot of attention on social media, but somebody who has gotten... Uh, angry messages before, whether it's on my blog page or whether it's been on my YouTube channel. Um, there's no need to engage, honestly. And Seth being the guy that would engage 
on a lot of stuff on Twitter and and saying that oh well if when the fans are booing this like they don't get it and and, and stuff like that. It's like dude, you got to understand that if you're going to be a big star, you're going to get this shit and you're going to have to put up with it. If you can't, then you shouldn't be in that spot. Simple. And if it means the only way that you can survive it is by turning off Twitter, then you may need to consider that. And, you know, I fully agree with what Punk said on that front. So, uh, I don't think I have anything else to do on that topic. So let's just move on to AEW stuff. So AEW Dark this week, back after uh, missing the, the last week since they put one up on Friday. I'm still confused by why they did that, especially in retrospect, because the Friday show didn't lead to anything on um full gear so it just seemed like a very out of place so i wonder if maybe i don't know i can't understand why they would have gone into you know putting dark on a different day when there was really nothing to stop it i mean what would stop you from posting a video up on tuesday on youtube like what would really be stopping you? it's not like there's a scheduling conflict i don't know it's one of those weird things but anyways uh this episode was it, it was good. It was still a good show. It's still not one of the better ones, but I mean, this was still a very enjoyable show. So we had three matches on this card. Uh, first one was Best Friends going up against Private Party. So on this week on commentary, we had Dustin Rhodes uh, joining Excalibur. Um, I like Dustin. I think this one got a little too... Um, I don't know what the word I would use is, but I think it was very distracting because a lot of the commentary was Dustin Rhodes, like almost trying to a little too hard to fanboy out. Cause I mean, he's talking about like, Oh man, like he's going, Oh wow. You know, I, I, I wish I could do like stuff like that. It's just like, dude, like as a, as a guy who has been in the business so long, I'm surprised that he wouldn't just be like, okay, I just need to put these guys over not, not, you know, try to get too over the top and distract from it. No, he kind of, he kind of made it a little bit difficult. So there are different different points in the match where I'm just like, okay, dude, like you, you need to take a step back here. Um, otherwise, a few moments that I know down here. At one point, Mark Quinn uh, took one of the, took a set of the beads that he had. He threw it at Orange Cassidy. So Orange Cassidy just like slowly picks him up, puts the beads on. That gets a bit of a pop. Uh, at one point, Private Party starts posing on the ropes after they take Best Friends out of the ring. Uh, Orange Cassidy just randomly gets up on the apron. And I love how the commentators are like, is he trying to play some mind games with him, or does he just not know that those aren't his teammates up on the up on the ropes? I thought that was funny. There was a really cool uh, neck breaker sent uh, rolling senton combo from Private Party that was nice. And then towards the end of the end of the match, uh, they went for the gin and juice, but Gwen got caught in the tree of woe, and Cassie got powerbombed into him. That looked really cool. And eventually, a uh, Trent would pin Isaiah Cassidy with the strong zero from the assist from Chuck Taylor and best friends get a win, which they haven't had in a little while, if I remember correctly. Next match on the card was a tag match of Riho and Britt Baker up against Big Swole and Chris Statlander, who I've never seen before. Uh, right after the very beginning, I, th- I knew I was going to like Chris a little bit because she was messing around with Aubrey before the bell. She's like half like prodding her, and Aubrey's like, hey, 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 knock it off. I, fo- I thought that was really funny. Uh, very early in the match, uh... Again, like I'm, I'm not understanding Britt Baker. I'm really not liking the fact that she's getting this push still. Her record is way too good for how good she is in the ring. There's definitely girls that deserve a little bit more than she does. Granted, there's also a few girls that deserve more of a spot than she does, and yet 
I think because it's a cool thing. This is the this is one of the few things that I think AEW is trying a little too hard on when it comes to getting some nice PR because oh, it's a cool story to have a girl who's wrestling and a dentist as her career. I'm sure like they're just trying to push a little bit thing a little thing towards it. It's just I don't know. I don't think she's good enough to get that spot yet. She needs work. And I think if she's not doing this full time, that might not help as well because she's got other work to worry about. So that it's kind of holding her back, I feel. I mean, she's not it's I'm not telling you that she's garbage, but for the spotlight that she's getting to be one of the top women in this promotion, you need to be better than what she is. She needs to be at least double what she's doing. Honestly, that's my gen- that's my opinion. A weird bit for the early point of the match it seemed like Baker wasn't uh, tagging in Riho like refusing to. Like, maybe she was trying to prove a point that she didn't need it. Uh, at one point in the match, it was a reverse. Like, you figure Riho is going to be the hot tag girl. Instead, Rio actually was the one that stopped the hot tag, which was odd. I mean, I, I like that psychology, but it's one of those things where um, you're just so used to the psychology being, like, the the good guys are the ones that get the hot tag going, not stop it. It was, it was one of those strange things. But then again, when it comes to tag team wrestling, the psychology in AW has been so much different and a breath of fresh air. So it's been kind of fun that way. Uh, so Satlander in this match, she's definitely still a very green uh, wrestler. I mean, they said that she's only, like, in her third year. But she has some really, really interesting flashes in this match. There were points where, like, specifically she had an Oklahoma roll and a sp- – I don't know what you would call it. I, I call it a spinning fish- fisherman bomb. I don't know if that's really what it is, but that, that was the best I could come up with. But I actually, by the end of the match, really liked her. She's not, she's the kind of person that I look at and think, okay, there's some real potential here. Otherwise, um, there was a weird cover where – uh, Swole was using Riho on top of Baker to get leverage on the pin, and my brain just went, is that actually legal? Like, why is Aubrey counting that? But, you know, it is what it is. In the end, uh, Baker gets the win for her team, taking Statlander out with the lockjaw, you know, which is a move that I'm actually starting to get a little bit sick of already because I think it's kind of gross that there's a move where she has to put her fingers in a, in a person's mouth. I never was a big fan of the mandible claw because I thought that was just gross. And I'm not assuming the guy was shoving his finger down people's throats, but I mean, at the same time, it's just one of those things where I'm like, I don't know how I feel about that. But uh, that is what it is. There was another undesirable to undeniable segment that was with Justin Roberts this time. Uh, Thank God they didn't talk about how Jim Cornette called him a pedophile on his podcast once. Speaking of things Jim Cornette said that I will never understand why you would say. Um, Again, like I've gotten to the point now that I'm just going to casually mention these segments, but they're all like, Nice little quick interviews where you usually get to talk with people that you don't see nearly as much on the show or guys that, you know, are a little bit more like unsung heroes. Like the QT Marshall thing I thought was really cool. Stuff like that. I think that's really interesting. You know, I'd love to hear um, even a thing like, I don't, I, I love, as a guy who has obviously been watching him on YouTube for a while, I'd love to see them do something with Chris Van Vliet because, I mean, this guy went from, you know, just a guy doing YouTube interviews to, you know, getting stuff on television and then now becoming a part of AEW. Like, that's such a cool thing. Otherwise, um, we had the Young Bucks going up against the Stronghearts, that being T-Hawk and L. Lindemann. I was really happy to see both those guys back together. We haven't seen, I'm trying to think, is it L. Lindemann we haven't seen back in a while? I think T-Hawk's the one that we've seen a couple of times since. Uh, Excalibur was having trouble remembering which one of the two it was. That was interesting. And 
my notes are kind of actually screwed up here because I forgot to write down what the finish is. But the Young Bucks did win the match, and it was a very quick match. Like, I enjoyed this match, but I have almost no notes for it because the match was so much faster than I assumed it was going to be. Um, you know, I expected, you know, a 15 minute, and I think this thing was under 10. I think it was like maybe eight or nine minutes. Uh, there was a lot going on. I mean, there was nothing like that I can sit here and make a note of because generally speaking now, I've done this podcast enough that I'm not just going to every time there's a suicide dive or like a big thing off the off the top rope, like I'm not going to note everything. It's going to start to get to a point where I talk about like some of the more interesting spots I see or the psychology things and, and things of that nature. But in this match, like it's a Young Buck Strong Hearts match. Like, do I need to explain this too much? I mean, you've seen both the teams at this point. You've got a pretty good idea on what these guys are doing. And I mean, it's a Bucks match too, so you don't really have to think of much. But otherwise, um, let's get to AEW Dynamite, which had quite possibly one of the best matches I've seen in a while and one that surprised the hell out of me. And, you know, for a show that has now had a couple of months to really get its footing here, and I'm still sitting here enjoying every single show, which is fantastic and such a refreshing thing because I was so worried in the very beginning that, you know, I would like it to start and then eventually I'd slowly, you know, start to start to lose a little bit of interest in it. And so far as we have now been past one pay-per-view, not only have I not gone down on the product, I'm getting more and more impatient every week to watch and I'm more impatient to see certain things happen. Um, So let's get right to it. So the first match on the card, like I said, one that was fantastic. We had Phoenix going up against Nick Jackson of the Young Bucks because Matt is injured and I don't believe is coming back till the following week. Nick has not wrestled a singles match in 1,627 days, which was... So that's like, what, four, four and a half years, I want to say? So that's a long time. And for a guy who hasn't done that in four and a half years, he looked like he belonged in that spot. Uh, a note that I that I thought I saw at the beginning, like, I thought during Phoenix's entrance, he tripped on himself, like, walking on the stage. I thought that was a little bit strange. Like, it just looked like he just, like, st- like stubbed his foot or something and just kind of, like, fell forward a little bit. He didn't fall down, but... Looked like he tripped himself up. Uh, the gr- the opening exchange was fantastic. You know, just them flying all over the place. A lot of kicks being thrown. It almost looked like an action sequence. That was fantastic. Uh, there was a really good tight uh, tightrope turn can run by Nick. Obviously, Phoenix doing his tightrope walk into a kick. He did that a couple of times. This was all over the place. Like I literally have just a note in here. It says both men just all over the place. The fans were going bananas. In throughout this match, obviously, as as an opening match, this is what you do to get the crowd going. Um, in the end, I, I I had a feeling for a second. I'm like, man, like how cool would that be to get Nick, you know, a win in his first singles match in forever? But it was not to be. Phoenix hits what I can only call a spinning muscle buster, and gets the pinfall on Nick. They well, Nick goes for the handshake. Phoenix just says, nah, fuck off," and just leaves the ring. So the Lucha Brothers continuing to show a bit of the bit of the heel side, which I think makes a lot of sense when you have somebody like Pentagon. Although I don't know if the fans will ever take to it because the fans just fucking love these guys. Otherwise, 
next up here, we had Hikaru Shida going up against Britt Baker. I assume that this match was going to be a whoever wins this is getting the next shot against Riho. So I figured Shida was going to get the win. I was right in this. Um, Baker looked really rough in the early moments of this match. And again, just shows that, I don't know, like this girl just, there's some polish that's needed. And I think, again, if, if it has to do with her not having a consistent wrestling schedule that she's just not locked in ever. It, it just, it doesn't seem like things are going very well for her. There were a lot of moments where I just watch her and be like, man, you're sloppy. What the hell? Why are you getting this spot if you're going to be this sloppy all the time? You know, it's the same with Allie getting, getting the time that she's had. I'm just like, why? Like, it's clearly not working. But, uh, at one point in the match, I'm not sure what happened. I never caught it. Uh, Baker seemed to be getting a bit of a cut in the nose. I don't know if maybe a shot got a little too close. Maybe, she ran in into something. I'm not sure what happened, but she was, it wasn't like a very, very bad break. It, like she might've like popped her nose a bit and like a little blood came up, but it wasn't terrible. Uh, otherwise, you know, few exchanges here and there. Sheeta finally got caught in the lock job, but she never really got a heavy lock to, I don't know if she actually ever got the hand in the, on the jaw, but, uh, Sheeta did manage to escape by getting to the ropes one point she does the deed she hits the falcon arrow that gets a kick out much to everybody's shock and horror and then eventually Sheeta would hit the running knee and pin baker so it's not implied but i would assume that the next person getting a shot at riho will be Sheeta, and i would fully suspect that Sheeta is going to be the one to do it i mean is it possible that riho just keeps it and keeps going till either nyla gets her run because it seems like they're they're trying to get Nyla into a monster run now. Or maybe Brandy gets it because Awesome Kong helps out. We we don't know. It's I think it's gonna be one of the three at this point. And my money right now is on Sheeta just because I think they're pushing her a little bit more. And I don't know if you'd have Sheeta in a rematch with Riho where she loses again. But you know. Stranger things have happened and I've had a not the easiest time calling what the AW pay-per-views are gonna be like, so. After that match we had a vignette about the Dark Order, which basically was this like stereotypical, like really fat, like nerdy looking kid. You know, he gets bullied, bullies stomp on his glasses, kind of break them. And he's sitting on the subway train and this ad plays on the train. And it looks almost like a televangelist thing that is, you know, kind of hacked in the, in the Dark Order style. So it, apparently, I guess the Dark Order is an evil televangelist corporation now, which is funny you know, at least they're giving them more of a backstory other than just being these guys that have these weird people in mass that follow them everywhere. But um, I guess if they're going to make this evil religion, it, it's kind of an interesting way to go about it. I, I could see Uno with his weird voice trying to be, you know, the preacher of the group, which would be kind of interesting. And then just Stu just being like the acolyte, just the one that just takes care of all the business. But, you know. It was a weird little promo, but I at least like that they're giving them some more attention now. Uh, we had the Diamond Dozen Battle Royal, which would be that the last two people in the match would go uh, next week and fight for a what they call a $35,000 diamond ring. And the second that I saw that MJF was in this match, I know immediately that MJF is winning this damn thing. So the full list of competitors was Hangman Adam Page came out. They went to commercial break. All the other guys came out to... Uh, basic music. I'm surprised that even MJF came out to basic music because I figured they want him to have the heel heat. But uh, Orange Cassidy was in, Chuck Taylor's in, Kip Sabian, Jimmy Havoc, Jungle Boy, Marco Stunt, Pentagon Jr., Sonny Kiss, Joey Janela, 
MJF. And then when they came back to commercial, all of a sudden you see a big green X on the screen and Billy Gunn comes out. The fans, you know, go pretty crazy for this. And Gunn had a lot of fun moments in this battle royal. But right at the very beginning before the match started, we see Phoenix coming down to the ring. He goes to cheer on Pentagon. All of a sudden, he takes the mask off. It's Chris Daniels, distracts Pentagon, and Chuck Taylor eliminates him immediately. So Pentagon, of all people, is the first one out. Uh, MJF ruins a lot of things in this match. So uh, Gunn and Sonny Kiss were about to have like an ass moment, I guess is the best way of looking at it. You know, Sonny Kiss was doing uh, a little bit of twerking and Gunn was admiring. MGF ruined that. Um, I believe he must have eliminated Kiss during this. Yeah, he did. And Gunn was like, what the fuck, man? Uh, eventually, he eliminates Havoc and Stunt. Havoc comes back in and starts staple gunning everybody, including Chuck Taylor in the balls. I was really disappointed that Chuck Taylor didn't do his normal, like, girly scream that he used to do in Chikara all the time. That, that was disappointing. Uh, Janela went to the top rope at one point. I don't know what he was going for, maybe the elbow drop, and Spears came out of nowhere and took out Janela with a chair that knocked him off the apron, and that was it. Uh, Orange Cassidy was finally going to do something against Billy Gunn. He does the couple of kicks. He goes to do the super kick, but MJF grabs him and throws Cassidy out. Gunn just stares at MJF and says, that's twice now, you son of a bitch. And he goes to throw MJF out, but Wardlock comes out and distracts him, so... I thought MJF was just going to toss him up, but Paige actually threw um, Billy Gunn out. That got a bit of a groan. Um, Penelope Ford came out, or she was already with him. I can't remember. She grabbed Taylor while he was on the apron about to uh, jump back into the ring, uh, and then Sabian took him out. Uh, They kept... At some point... MJF got thrown out of the ring or knocked off the apron, but he went under the rope or something. And everybody's like, well, you know, they kept saying the number like it was one less. And I'm sitting here being like, I never saw MJF eliminated. You would have made note of that. I'm not stupid. I hate it when they try to pretend like MJF is gone. Like you can do that with somebody that's a little more understated, but I mean, it's MJF. We're all paying attention. So the fact that they were trying to act like he was eliminated, it's like, dude, we would have known because everybody would have lost it. Um, Jungle Boy eliminates Sabian. So they keep saying, oh, that's it. It's just him and Paige. That's it. The bell hasn't rung. So again, they're trying really hard to sell it, but it doesn't work. That finish is really difficult to pull off because now that we've seen it so many times, we actually pay really close attention to who got eliminated. So uh, obviously MJF sneaks back in, just pulls uh, Jungle Boy off the apron, and that's it. So it's going to be MJF against Adam Page next week. And you know that, like I said, MJF has got to win it. If it's a diamond ring, Page is not going to win it. What does Page get for for winning that ring? MJF is going to have it, and then he's just going to friggin' rub it in your face. Like, I get this stuff because I'm worth all that. This is what I am, like, he's going to just be a dick about it. And then speaking of being a dick, uh, Jericho comes out. He's got a major announcement. Uh, at some point, he's trying to he's trying to say that he's sorry for his conduct last week after he got pinned by Scorpio Sky, and he keeps going, "I'm," s- 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 and he just keeps refusing to do it. And finally, he he turns the mic over to Hager, and Hager's like, "He says he's sorry." And th- various times throughout the promo, Jericho be like, "I'm," hands the mic over to Hager, "Sorry," and then goes right back to talking. And that got a couple of laughs. Uh, Jericho, his big announcement is that he's going to have a Thanksgiving thank you celebration next week. Because, again, Jericho's gimmick is that he's a douchebag that feels like he needs to pronounce words the way that he wants to. 
you know, it's 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 amazing like that. Uh, as he goes to leave, Scorpio Sky comes out with the rest of SCU. He reminds Jericho why his temper tantrum happened, that he pinned him. Sky saying that his win changed his life so much that even his high school crush, Melody Parsons, wants to go out with him next week. And the fans are like, yeah, Melody, Melody. I'm like, okay, this, this, this promo is already amazing because now it's just going nuts. And it wasn't over. Jericho goes, Melody, you know, I've seen Melody Parsons, and she's gained a lot of weight since high school. And Sky immediately goes, I like big butts, and I cannot lie. And that got another great reaction from the crowd. Uh, Jericho says he wants a singles match with Sky next week. Doesn't say anything about the title, so eventually they start goading Jericho into into giving him a title match. And finally, Jericho's like, oh, fine, I'll fight you for the title next week. And, you know, I'm going to kick your ass and take revenge for you, you know, taking away my first loss. And Sky's like, well, maybe after next week, I'm going to turn Le Champion into Le Bitch. And Jericho takes exception to that. So they start beating him up. The rest of the inner circle come out, start attacking people. Michael Nakazawa and Brandon Cutler try to make the save, but they are jobbers. So they get destroyed immediately. Jericho hits a Judas effect on Scorpio Sky while the other two are handcuffed to the ropes. And then all of a sudden, Jurassic Express come in. Uh, Marco Sutton Jack, or Jungle Boy Jack, get clobbered. And then Luchasaurus runs into the ring. People are going nuts because he ends up going toe-to-toe with Jake Hager. The fans are going absolutely bananas, but Hager, as you would expect, backed off. So if that's Hager's first match, what a cool first match that would be to have those two going up against each other. That'd be awesome. Uh, they go to commercial and they keep the Jurassic Express in the ring because Luchasaurus is going to go one-on-one with Peter Avalon as his return match. The match goes 30 seconds. <laughs> uh, Peter Avalon comes out and says, I hate the dinosaurs. You know, they're dead. Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Lucha just kicks the shit out of him. Hits a tombstone, like what I can only call a tombstone faceplant, I guess, in a weird way. Uh, he sets him up in the tombstone spot and then grabs him by the legs, flings him out, and does it and does like a face plant with him. That, that looks pretty cool. I I almost look at Luchasaurus and I'm like, man, he should just do a tombstone. Man, that'd be a perfect move for him because he does the tongue thing anyway. Otherwise, um, just a squash, just just to be like, okay, Luchasaurus, you know, he can do singles damage. It's just to get him over is be like, this guy's dangerous. Probably to set him up with Hager at some point. I don't know if it's gonna be any time. Uh, this year, if they're going to wait all the way to the pay-per-view, not sure. Uh, second last match on the card, we get Private Party going up against Santana and Ortiz. This match was dedicated to the late Matt Travis, who was killed tragically when a dump truck made an illegal U-turn while he was on his bike. So both teams both teams were trained under the guy. Uh, in fact, I believe they were saying Santana and Ortiz were pulled off the streets. Like, this wasn't a, this wasn't a storyline. Like, the guys were literally, like... Guys on the street, Travis convinced them to to join up and, and let him coach them into wrestling. There is a lot of great tandem offense in this match. Uh, Santana did an avalanche Russian leg sweep. Ortiz shot from um, the ropes into a DDT. And then Santana did a stalled German altogether in a, in a quick five-second succession. That was cool. Another tandem between those two guys. He does a stalling vertical suplex. He tags an Ortiz while he still got, I believe, Quinn in the air. And they kept switching. So I think like several times they would switch. And finally, they did the suplex. Another Falconero kickout happened in this match. I think Excalibur is going to just pass out at some point. He's just from all these times the Falconero doesn't work. Um, 
At one point, Cassie actually seemed to have the pin and three didn't get counted. I'm not sure what actually happened. They try to claim that it was a legal man issue, but I'm positive that the, the correct man was in the ring. Then they try to say, oh, you know, somebody pulled the referee's leg and that kind of interrupted him. It's like, I didn't see that either. So I don't, I don't know what happened. If something was supposed to happen and it didn't, it didn't happen quick enough, I don't know if their timing was off, but either way, it didn't quite work out the way that it should have. Uh, at one point, they go to grab the sock filled with baseballs. Nick Jackson runs out. He grabs that to take it away. And then out of nowhere, even though they failed the first time because of Quinn's leg being worked on during the match, they do the gin and juice and actually defeat Santana and Ortiz. I was 100% certain Santana and Ortiz were going to win this match because it was going to lead to a title match against Scorpio Sky and Frankie Kazarian because my assumption is the first titles that are going to change is going to be this belt, the tag titles, and Santana Ortiz being the first ones to do it. That was what my assumption is. With them losing to Private Party, it seems like it puts the record back a bit. At least it gives Private Party a reason to be like, hey, we deserve a shot too, even though they've already had one. But I like the interest in that. Otherwise, Guevara came out after the match. They start three on twoing. Uh, private party until Dustin Rhodes comes back with full cast still on and starts playing cowboy Bob Orton just knocking people down with the cast Uh, before our main event we had a quick promo with Kenny Omega talking about how he'll be fighting Pac next week straight up he just says you know what I've done a lot of soul searching and I think where my troubles truly began was with you Pac at all out you defeated me and since then I've been struggling and you know now I get a chance to get revenge and he's going to get his rematch next week, and he's going to right that wrong. I feel like something's going to happen, he's going to lose, and that downward spiral is going to continue. But we have no time to worry about that because we get to our main event, which I'm really sad was as short as it was. They didn't give them enough TV time. That was very disappointing. But John Moxley going up against Darby fucking Allen. Darby coming out with a body bag. Apparently he came here on a crowd surf. You know, he, was, he put himself in a body bag with the Mox labeling on it and they body surfed him or crowd surfed him in the body bag uh he comes out to the ring dragging that body bag with the skateboard in hand and he immediately goes after moxley outside the ring from the very start he hits a cross body at one point but moxley no sells him so he just shrugs him right off that looked really cool uh, a lot of spots here and there Dario was taking punish throughout most of this match they're trying to get moxley over as just an unbelievably dangerous guy darby goes to bring in the body bag moxley put him in the body bag, kicks him a bunch. I thought that he was going to try to paradigm shift DDT him in the body bag. I thought that would have been such a cool spot, but they didn't do that. Bryce eventually got him out of the bag, which I got a bit of a groan out of actually, because I'm like, dude, like all he did was put him in the body bag and kick him. That wasn't really that interesting. Cody did more with the body bag when they fought at Fighter Fest. So that was interesting to me. But at one point, um, Darby goes for the coffin drop. Moxley countered with a sleeper. Uh, He just manages to get out of it, but it doesn't take long before uh, Darby and uh, Moxley are up on the second rope, I believe. And out of nowhere, Moxley hooks his arms and hits an avalanche paradigm shift for the win. It looked fucking disgusting. That did not look like a good bump for Darby, but again, Darby seems to want to die every time he's in that ring, so it's not really that shocking. But otherwise, this was a very fun show. Um, Like I said... Both the opening and the main event, fantastic matches. Had a blast watching Moxley and Allen. Allen, again, showing that he's the guy that no matter what you hit him with, he's going to keep getting up. You have to legit put him down hard to get a win over him. And that's a great thing to, to advertise. 
to a guy that you want to take seriously as a singles competitor, even though he's like as heavy as I am. I think he's only like 160, 170 pounds. So there's that. But like I said, the the opening match, Nick Jackson Phoenix, definitely the best match on the card. I couldn't believe how much fun that match was. I thought, okay, it's going to be a bit of a spot fest, but you know, they'll, they'll do a couple of cool things. No, man, that was an f- unreal match. I was all over the place with that. I loved every minute of it. The crowd loved every minute of it. They were going bananas the entire time. And if it means we're going to see more matches like this, and I would love to see the Bucks. I'd like to see all these tag teams have singles matches. I noted that, uh, I think last week when Trent had a match with Pac, you know, I'd love to see all these guys that are traditionally tag guys get a chance to have singles matches. I would love to see Pentagon on his own. Pentagon and Moxley would be an unreal match. That's where you get like, a. can you imagine those two in an unsanctioned match? Cause if you remember Pentagon and Vampiro and Lucha Underground, how ridiculous that match is, you put him and Moxley together. Wow. That would be crazy. But, I mean, a lot of teams like that. I like to see Santana and Ortiz going. Like, Ortiz especially, just because of how insane he is. Like, put him with, with like, Chuck Taylor or Orange Cassidy, somebody that he can have fun with. Uh, even the private party guys, I like to see what they can do on their own. And that's the beauty of what AEW is doing right now. They're they're taking chances. They're doing stuff you normally don't see. Whereas, you're so used to the status quo of, if you're in a tag team, you're not going to be wrestling singles matches for a while. I mean, obviously, Nick Nick's case, that's what it was. He hadn't wrestled in, in over four years. But, you know, all in all, great show. Enjoyed the hell out of it. And once again, looking forward to next week. So that's going to do it for the Radical Wrestling Podcast. Thank you so much for watching or listening, depending on where you're getting this from. If you are here on YouTube, like the video, subscribe to the channel, share the video, and comment below. If you're listening to this on any audio service where you have the ability to rate the show, please do so. Give me minimum four stars. You know, I I know Meltzer can't always give five-star ratings. I know you can't give me any sixes, but, you know, at least if you can give me a four-star, I'll take that happily. Same deal if if you're listening to this on audio. Share this with any of your friends that are big into wrestling, especially AEW. And then if you're looking to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at CSRadical. I don't use Instagram very much, but there is CS slash Radical, or sorry, CS dash Radical, which is mostly an anime account, but it is what it is. Otherwise, if you want to give me any sort of an email, whether it's questions, comments, anything of the sort, you can email me at askcsradical at gmail.com. So with that being said, guys, thank you so much for joining me on this edition of the RWP, and we will see you on the next show. Take it easy, everybody.